Well, here we are again in person. Aaron, it is so great to have you here at my place in Almont. Uh, welcome, man. Thank you for welcoming me. And what a beautiful, beautiful town this is and a beautiful home you have. And thank you for uh, having Andrew and I over. This is fantastic. It's such a nice treat. Oh, well, it's been our pleasure. And uh great to be able to spend the entire day together that was fantastic yeah, and we had dinner last night too that was yeah, even yeah. That nice. so all in all a great weekend and absolutely uh, absolutely and uh great to do it in person again here i always find that so much better being able to look across the table you know but uh, i think we've got a great show lined up tonight and we've got three interesting events from this week in rock and roll history so there was what, a lot when, yeah. when you sent me there was a lot of stuff happening this time period eh? oh there sure was so what do you say we get started uh, yeah, you don't have to pick me up this time. No, that's right. So let's <laughs> do it. Cue the intro music. Maps? Check. Snacks? Double check. Tunes? Check. I'm Tony Stewart. I'm Aaron Badgley. And we are cruising the rock and roll highway in our way back music machine. Are you ready, my friend? I sure am. I have the feeling this is going to be the start of a great adventure. Kind of a magical mystery tour. Somehow I knew you were going to say that. So, Tony, we've got a great show lined up, but uh, where are we heading first? Well, we are going to head back to September 6th, 1970, and we're going to be talking about uh, Jimi Hendrix. So can you punch that in, September 6th, 1970? There we go, the... Uh, <laughs> Kind of real buttons this time, so let me cue up the uh, time machine sound effect, and uh, we'll be right back. You know, Tony, just before we, we talk about where we are and what time, right? You know, you're making. I was making the noise for our our way back machine. Do you know the song Nine to Five by Dolly Parton? Yes. You know the sound effects. It sounds like typing. Yep. Do you know how she did that? How did she do that? Clicking her nails, just like holding up her yeah. hand and clicking her nails. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never hear that song the same way twice. I think you should grow your nails and just pick them from now on when we do the uh, time machine sound effect. Yeah, paint them too. Uh, <laughs> really look fashionable. So um, we're at the Isle of uh, Femarn in Germany. It's September 6th, 1970. And something pretty major happens this day. And uh, uh, do you want to tell us what happened that day? Well, it's major, but it wasn't intended to be major, no, was it? No, not at all. This is Jimi Hendrix's final live appearance. He appears at the Isle of, and I apologize to any German listeners, <laughs> uh, Femarn, uh, the Isle of Femarn in Germany, Germany, but he died 12 days after this on September 18th. And this was his final concert appearance. And it was during a festival. Yeah. One of those famous festivals from the early 70s, right? And, uh, you know, the other thing is that he actually was not very popular this night. He was met with a lot of booing and jeering because he had just canceled a show uh, that was supposed to happen the previous night, right? But he canceled it for a good reason. And uh, why don't you tell us why he canceled it? I mean, I would have canceled it too, you know? <laughs> well, Shades, of for those of you who've seen Phantom of the Paradise show, you'll get the reference, but uh, he canceled it due to torrential rain and risk of electrocution. Funny, funny story. Do you ever hear the story about Rockpile? Nick Lowe. No. And he electrocuted himself on stage. And Dave Edmonds thought that he was drinking too much. Oh, my goodness. So he walks over to Nick Lowe and he just starts kicking him because he's angry. But what he did by kicking him was took the, it, it got, it, it jarred the bass loose from his hands. 
<laughs> so basically, he didn't mean to, but he saved his life um, by oh, kicking wow. him out of wow. anger. <laughs> Nick oh. Lowe loves that story. But uh, so, so Hendrix cancels the show because of the, I mean, for a good, and I don't know if it was he who canceled the show. Could have been the promoters. Could have been a lot of people. That's right. But he was booed that night, the next night in Germany which is a sad way to go out for your last concert appearance. Well, that's right. Now, he actually did play once more, but it wasn't for a, like a, a scheduled concert appearance. He played on September 16th, mm-hmm. but it was just an informal jam session. Yeah. And it was called Ronnie Scott's Jazz Club in Soho uh, with Eric Burden and his latest band, War. Right. Which, um, But they said that Hendrix was very subdued. You know, he just quietly played backing guitar rhythm guitar uh stayed away from soloing and so he died 48 hours less than 48 hours after that jam session yeah i mean this was a he was i don't know if you're a fan of his music or not but i mean he was such an amazing guitarist right well absolutely i mean i'm not the biggest fan of his music but i am a fan of what he represents in rock and roll history yeah yeah, I mean, and the fact, and the sad fact is, he had his number one album just after he dies because he had recorded an album called "Cry for Love," which came out after he died. And of course, typically it goes to number one. But I think he was a very talented artist. I'm not a big fan of all of his music. I'm, I'll listen to it, and and I'm never gonna. He was, and what he did with the guitar was like nobody. But when he didn't do the the theatrics, you know, say the guitar and fire or play behind his head and all that, he was really good. Well, that's right. A very, very talented guy. Um, a student of the game, for sure. You know, he... Uh, have you ever seen the clips of him playing acoustic guitar? Like, there's only a couple. Like, he, Yeah, I've seen one. I think there's... Yeah, that's the only one I've ever seen, too. And an amazing acoustic player as well. He was. He was and, he liked, and he liked the blues. I mean, this is a guy that grew up on listening to some really fine... I mean, he started out really young, right? Um, and I think he just got caught up in the whole hippie thing and the whole, you know, he was manufactured by the label to a certain degree. I always thought it was sad that he never could, exp- like he, he couldn't say that he was half indigenous because he was half indigenous and half black. And, and, they, and the record company said, don't, don't mention the indigenous thing. Just stick to the black thing. Yeah, that's very sad, isn't sad, it? Sad, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, really sad. But a uh, talented guy. And it was like, sad, he kind of went out with a whimper. Yeah. You know? And you know, I always liked his connection to little Richard, right? Little yeah, Richard helped right. uh, give him his start. And then yep. of course, little Richard fired him, which <laughs> I always found funny as well. <laughs> well. Little Richard had his own demons to fight. Thank you very much. Yes. Yeah. Well, until he became a minister, but that's another story for another time. Yeah. Hendrix is a, Hendrix is a, you know, and I think he, he died in an apartment that he was, well, he was living in an apartment he rented from John Lennon. Oh, um, and Ringo. So, I mean, he lived there for a while. I don't think he died in that apartment, but he, yeah, he was bigger in England anyways. He, he established himself in the UK long before he established himself in the US. And, you know, he was the highest paid performer in the world, right? By yeah. the time Woodstock happened, I and mean, he was right. commanding huge, huge money. Yeah. And I think there was a lot of pressure put on him by the companies, by the, by the promoters. And, and, and I think he just wanted to play guitar. Absolutely. You know, you know I think personality wise, right? He wasn't, you know, that, that was a stage act that he put on, lighting the guitar on fire or playing with his teeth or doing whatever, right? <laughs> yeah. but, and he was modest. There was a great interview clip, and he, someone says to him, 
what's it feel like to be the best guitarist in the world? And he goes, I don't know. You should ask Rory Gallagher. That's right. Yeah. I remember hearing that, <laughs> that uh, clip. And, and I love Rory Gallagher, everybody. He's, if you don't know his music, you got to check yeah, out. Rory Gallagher is great. Oh, fantastic. Another one who we lost far too soon, but he was amazing, amazing guitarist. Yeah. Now, what would have been on the charts? So September 6th, 1970, what was uh, charting then? Well, some stuff you like, Tony. Um, in fact, two of the albums you would like, maybe, maybe more. I don't know. I don't know if you're a Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young fan. But yeah, yeah, I like Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. Okay, so they were number five uh, with Deja Vu, which had previously been number one. Number four was Chicago 2. Number three was uh, Blood, Sweat & Tears, Blood, Sweat & Tears. And that was also a formal number one album. Um, number two is the soundtrack, Various Artists to Woodstock, another album that actually made it to number one. Number one, my favorite, Creedence Clearwater, Clear, uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival and Cosmos Factory. I love that album. Yeah, that is a fantastic album. But you know what you were saying? There's two uh, bands on here, two horn bands. And uh, well, I, I love the horn band era. And we just did on our other show, our Spotify radio show, uh, Before My Time, if you look up our latest episode, folks, it's actually all about horn bands. And so both of these bands, Chicago and uh, Blood, Sweat and Tears are on that playlist. And, I, and that's called a segue, folks. That's right. <laughs> a little shameless plug there. That's <laughs> oh, fine. You should, we should be plugging. It's a good show. I listened to it again today. It's fantastic. Yeah. I Well, actually, we were listening to it in your car and it yeah. sounded great over the car radio. So, you know, take that, CBC. <laughs> So, uh, are you ready to jump? We're going to head to uh, September the 7th, 1968. And actually, we're pulling out all the heavy hitters tonight. I'm looking at the notes here, but uh, we're, we're talking about some big name acts. So, let's go to uh, September 7th, 1968. I still want you to click your nails. I, I'm growing them. I'm growing them. <laughs> <laughs> all right, here we go. Well, here we are, September 7th, 1968, and we're keeping it in Europe. We're in Copenhagen, Denmark, and we are going to be talking about Led Zeppelin. Something really important in their history happened today, didn't it? Yep. Do, do you know how they got their name? Some, some comment like that's going to go over like a Led Zeppelin or something, right? Keith Moon. Keith Moon, he said, you know, you guys calling yourselves the new Yardbirds, that's going to go over like a lead balloon or a lead Zeppelin. Yeah. So I just thought that was very cool that Keith Moon, probably in a drunken stupor, came up with a name for it. Well, one of the most iconic names in rock and roll history. I right? would agree. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. These guys met. This this is when they met, you know, and they uh, they made their live de debut. You had Jimmy Page, Robert Plant, John Paul Jones, and John Bonham. They made their live debut as Led Zeppelin. But of course, like you say, billed as the New Yardbirds, but it was a club called Teen Club in Gladax, which is a suburb of Copenhagen. And there were around 1,200 youngsters attending the show, and that must have been pretty excited. Can you imagine? It's, it's like being at that cavern. Oh, yeah. Right? Or, or some kind of, you know, a club seeing the Who as the high numbers or something. Yeah. But, you know, it, this was their debut and they actually, Robert Plant got, uh, he got introduced wrong, right? Didn't he? He was called Robert Platt. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, here's, here's a little, like just with the, with the misspelling, the very first single by Jethro Tull that came out, it was, <laughs> there's, a, there's copies where it's Jethro Toe. <laughs> oh my goodness. 
<laughs> poor, poor Jethro Tull. It's like, wait, no, no, no Tull, just Tull. But anyways, well, that's, you hear all kinds of stories like that, right? Like, like that's like Robert Platt. I like that. Yeah. But you know, that's like Billy Joel's first album being mixed wrong yeah, and, exactly. and way too fast. <laughs> it's like, oh my Lord. You know, when you're an unknown musician, right? That kind no of stuff happens. Yeah, that's right. But uh, about 1,200 youngsters attended this show and they had a review the, the local review said, and this, this pretty much sums up Zeppelin's performing style, right? It said their performance and their music were absolutely flawless. And the music continued to ring nicely in the ears for some time after the curtains were drawn after their show. We can therefore conclude. And I love this line that the new Yardbirds are at least as good as the old ones were. Yeah, I just, I, I, yeah, I just read a book about Eric Clapton. Well, about Eric Clapton and George Harrison. There was a lot of infighting with the Yardbirds, eh? Like those guys. And it's funny because two of the members of the Yardbirds went on to form Zeppelin, and two of the other members went on to form a band that I love, that no one knows, Renaissance. I mean, they're this kind of pseudo classical, art rock, folk band. And I always thought it was interesting that two really landmark bands came from the Yardbirds, and then of course Clapton and Beck. Yeah, all right, solo. But it's you know I guess you just get all those egos in one room together, right? And oh. you, you you are talking some pretty top notch musicians here, right? You are. You're talking Clapton, Beck, Page. You're yeah. talking. Did you do you ever hear the argument between Dave Davies and um, Jimmy Page? No. Jimmy Page swears up and down that it's him doing the solo on You Really Got Me, because he was a session musician. That's right. He was one of the biggest session, yeah. session musicians in London. Huge. And he says, well, no, I played the guitar solo on that. And Dave Davies is like every chance he gets. Oh, and by the way, hey, Dave, how are you? Not bad. You know, I played the solo. <laughs> <laughs> I believe Dave. I do think that Jimmy probably thought he did it because he did so much session work, but really. But... uh we, you and I were talking before this, and, and neither one of us are the biggest Zeppelin fans on the planet, are we? No, and again, it's a case, you know, I appreciate their place in rock and roll history. I admire their chops. I admire their artistry. But for me, that whole pretentiousness that Zeppelin represented, I was just was never a fan of. That, that never spoke to me as a musician. And I'm the same way when it comes to jazz artists like that, yeah. you know, it, I'm just, that's not my bag, you know? I, so for me, I'm not into the, the 20 minute guitar solos and the, like, I, you know, I don't know what else to say about that, but that's just how, that's why they never resonated with me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm fine, folks. It's just dry. Uh, you know, I was, I was never, I mean, I, again, I grew up with them because my brothers, I had two older brothers who love Zeppelin. And uh, it was never failed. As soon as my mother left the house, because we had only one record player, old Fleetwood, you know, as soon as the mother was out of the house, the Beatle records came off and on Wen Zeppelin. So maybe I resented them. Have you heard the stuff that Robert Plant's done with um, Alison Krauss, though? I love that stuff. See, me too. I think that's brilliant. What an unlikely pairing, but but works brilliantly. And they have a new album coming out. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, it's fantastic. I've heard one song off it so far. I love it. It's, and it's, oh, me too. Well, I'm a, I love Alison Krauss's voice, and so I think she's I. a wonderful artist. Yeah. If she's if they're playing Toronto, you got to come. Oh, absolutely. But you know, I guess in that period from 1970 to 1974, I mean, really, was there a bigger act on the planet than Zeppelin? Probably no. not, eh? No, I mean, they just everything they came out with. Uh, Number one, well, the, except for their first album, which which oddly enough didn't make number one. Their first album came out in early 1969, January 12th to be exact. And it peaked at number 10 in America 
and peaked at number six in England. Uh, and I, I, I love this story, but where my daughter lives in New York City, it's the building, like three buildings up from her, is the building they took a picture of for the physical graffiti album cover. Oh, wow. And it's so cool to walk. And she, you know, she, I remember she, she moved in. She goes, yeah, there's this really weird building. They got this sign up saying physical graffiti. I'm going, what do you mean? She took a picture. I went, honey, that cover, that, that building. That's is, iconic. That's like, people are going to come to that building just to lay down. And they do. There's flowers, there's wreaths. It's incredible. But you know, I always love these stories of bands getting together for the first time. Yeah, right? me too. Like, uh, and, and what a moment that must have been. And, and despite uh, neither of us being big Zeppelin fans, right? It is an important, important event in rock and roll history there. No there. question. Yeah. No so, question. Uh, you know, when we looked over the notes this week, uh, because every week I do up a big, huge chart that I send to Aaron and we look over it and it's all kinds of events that have gone on in rock and roll history. And we both said, you know what, that one is, is really important. We got to talk about that. So, uh, and you know what, speaking of talking, I got to tell you again, I can't say it enough how nice it is to be sitting across the table know, from each that. other. It's so, it's, nice. it's so great. And I got to tell you, and this is because Tony and I have been friends now for, for a bit, but I'd never been to Tony's house and, and I'm, 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 I'm Tony's right across from me. Right behind Tony on the wall is the Beatles the BBC sessions where they're walking down the street and there's Abbey Road with the Beatles on that. And I'm so happy. And there's a beautiful little VW van, which is ours. And I'm just loving this room. So this is so cool to be. And I love sitting across from you. It's, yeah. It's, well, thanks. Well, I'm working on the studio here. It's not well, finished. I, it's I, getting I think there. it's fine the way it is actually, but yeah. So I am curious though, what was on the, uh, in 68, September 7th, what was on the charts? It was a bizarre chart. Number five, I didn't realize he was this big, this late in the 60s. Johnny Rivers. Wow. I loved him. Yeah, loved me Johnny too. Rivers. Um, Realization was the name of the album. Number four, Feliciano by Jose Feliciano. The number three album had been number one the week before, and it was by Cream. Now there's Clapton's band. He That's leaves right. the Yardbirds. Wheels of Fire, number number three. Number two, you and I were in a, an antique store today. We saw this album, The uh, the Rascals, Time That's Piece, right. Best of the Rascals. And number one, again, I was surprised. Number one was Waiting for the Sun by the Doors. Yeah, isn't that interesting? I forgot all about that album, to be honest. <laughs> I, I, was never, I was never a big Doors guy either. Nope. So. <laughs> Full confession, everybody, nor was I. But number one album, and I totally forgot about this album too. I didn't realize it got all, all the way to number one, but there you go. Oh, wow. Isn't that interesting? Now, we've got one more stop we have to go to, and uh, we're going to hop back to 1956, but we're going to uh, September 11th. So do you want to fire that up with the uh, the old sound effect there? Yeah, he can't hear his nails clicking, folks. <laughs> oh, right. He is tapping on his computer. It's punched in. Oh, yeah, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Here we go. Well, it is September 11th, 1956, and we're keeping it in Europe because we're back in London. And this is an interesting story. And again, one of those really important ones. This one is important because of it, of the time period, 1956, and how this helped spur on rock and roll. So police were called in to break up a crowd of rowdy teenagers following the viewing of the film Rock Around the Clock. And it was at a place called the Trocadero, and I hope I'm pronouncing that you correctly, are, yes, Trocadero Cinema in London. So the following day, and the Times uh, printed a reader's letter that said, 
And again, I love the language from this time period. You know, when people wrote in uh, the hypnotic rhythm and the wild gestures have a maddening effect on a rhythm loving age group. And the result of its impact is the relaxing of all self-control. So of course, this being Britain, the film was quickly <laughs> banned in several English cities. What a shocker. I think they banned English muffins at one point. <laughs> <laughs> They just banned everything. We, we have a running joke here. Okay. You know, for those of you who've been with us for a while, that every song was banned at some point in England. But um, so this film, have you ever seen it? Rock Around the Clock? I haven't. No, it's not, not Blackboard Jungle, which also caused Yeah, I've riots. seen Blackboard Jungle numerous times. Fantastic. But, yeah, which is a great, great movie. But this one was produced by Sam Katzman, who would go on to produce a lot of Elvis Presley's lesser quality films. He was a B movie guy. He made B movies. And this one was good because, but this one, although it's a B movie, it's a great film because it's got Alan Freed in it. Oh, yeah. And I'm a big Alan Freed guy. Oh, me too. Me too. I always thought that it was so tragic what happened to him after the payola scandal, you know? Dicklark. (laughs) Sorry, what? That's right. (laughs) (laughs) We're not going down that road again. No, let's not. (laughs) Um, But it was shot over three months from January to March 56. And really, they were trying to capitalize on, on the success of the song. Rock around the rock around the clock, but what's interesting, Tony? We would just mentioned Blackboard Jungle. It was in that movie, the theme song. Yeah, and it was the theme song to this film, and it became the theme song in the seventies to American Graffiti, making it the only song ever to be the theme to three different movies. Yeah, isn't that interesting? And you know, just this again, right? That it was almost like uh, rock and roll's coming of age to have. Um, a rock and roll song featured in a, yeah. in a feature film. Yes. Even yes. if it was just some kind of B movie or whatever, it didn't matter. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. I just watched a movie before I came to, to, to this wonderful place. And I want to thank you again, you and Cynthia. Thank you so much for having us. But oh, no, our pleasure. I watched a movie called, I, I forget the title was something like, you know, get a college girl or something. It was a terrible B film in the sixties, but all of a sudden I'm watching it. The animals are in it. It's kind of like, and now here are the animals. Like, okay. <laughs> so what made this film really good was it had Bill Haley and it's got the platters and Ernie Freeman combo, Tony Martinez and his mambo and Freddie Bell and his bellboys. Yeah. Oh, great band <laughs> names too back then. Eh? I love those band names, man. They're, but, but, but no soundtrack album. Yeah. Isn't that bizarre? But there's another aspect to this, which I think, you know, I, Again, when I teach uh, the kids at the high school about rock and roll, I always tie it into the civil rights movement, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, this just kicked down that that door and, uh, wide open. And this was an instance where some integration was happening because uh, those groups, you know, some were white, some were black. But at one point, uh, at, at the end of this film, uh, the Platters, who are an all-black vocal group, briefly share the stage with the all white comets and the bellboys groups, yeah. right? And they Pretty did it on cool. film. That is amazing. Fifty six. Yeah. Fifty six. Yeah. It's 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 amazing. It's again, as you say, it kicked down some barriers for a short time and it it, it showed people the potential. It said, you know what, we have the potential to do this. And 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 uh but that was Alan Freed. Yeah. Right? Well, because in fifty six it was uh in all likelihood, I mean now maybe not in England, but in, in the United States I mean, those black musicians wouldn't have even been allowed in the same entrance as same the white bus. or the same bus yeah. or the same hotel. Right. Uh, and not just in the Southern states either. No, I, I have heard lots of stories, even in the Northern states about them having to use servants entrances. And, yeah. and it's so sad. Have you seen, you've seen the green note 
is it called the green notebook uh yeah yeah the the one about the the guy the chauffeur yeah and, and that book that tells uh, black tourists where they can yeah, go yeah. yes yeah good great film. film great yeah. film and that was still very much alive in 56 you know and i mean it's 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 like louis armstrong you know people he would be performing at a club that people black people weren't allowed in yes you know, so yep so uh it was an interesting that they decided to have that moment captured on film. And, and yeah. I, you know, that was no accident. I'm oh, sh- no, no. That was Alan Freed saying, we're going to do this. Cause he was, he was also playing black music on the radio. Uh, unlike Dick Clark, who would play the white versions of, of little Richard, right? Like he played the Pat Boone version of beep, you know, uh, of the, uh, wop, wop, loo, wop, wop, bamboo, tutti, frutti. And he would play, you know, the white versions of black artists. But Alan was like, no, 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 no. We're going to play the, because they were better. Well, that's right. Clearly better. Clearly better. Yeah. No, I think Alan Freed, it is so tragic that, uh, the way that his life ended and, and, uh, his legacy was tarnished because man, he really, he's, yeah. he's as much a, a part of early rock and roll as Elvis Presley is, you know? Like, yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, you know, I agree. And I, I, I think Elvis respected him, right? So that was the movie. You know what? Look, look for it on YouTube, Rock Around the Clock. It's about 90 minutes, not even. It's, it's short. It's bad. <laughs> but it's so bad. It's good. I'm a B movie fan. Like, yeah, I, have, too. I like watching. I love them. Those I, kind I, of movies. I love the sci-fi ones. My favorite, you know, like, did you ever see the movie Them? With the giant ants? No. Oh, it's classic. <laughs> now, I got to play in an orchestra that did a soundtrack for uh, like a sci-fi. I can't even remember which sci-fi movie oh, really? it was. Yeah, years ago. We did a live screening in uh, in Perth. Okay. Because big arts community there. And they hired a small orchestra to, to play this soundtrack to the science fiction. Oh, I, I, that's awesome. It was awesome. a total blast. Total blast. Did yeah. you write the music before or did you guys improvise as it went on? No, no. A composer had written a score oh, for okay, it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, so, that's, yeah, that's awesome. It was super fun okay i'd love to have been there for that that's you know the but the interesting part was right because where we're sitting we couldn't see the screen our backs because we're in the pit right, right so you right. can't see what's happening on screen you're just kind of imagining it right but it was a, it was a blast oh it's the best the best now let's talk some charts though so uh, well this is early charts so that the top five albums by sales what frank sinatra songs for swing and lovers which i just saw today that's a great album Soundtrack to number five, number four. Oh, look at that. No, hang on. Elvis, hmm, Elvis has left the building. <laughs> Frank Sinatra <laughs> was number six, and I included it only because it was number six, and I love Sinatra. Oh, me too. So I thought, you know what? I know it's out of the top five, but number six was Frank Sinatra's Songs for Swinging Lovers. Number five was the soundtrack to the Eddie Duchin story. I mean, Eddie Duchin. Number four was uh, Elvis Presley's first album, Elvis Presley, with that iconic cover, which has been copied by The Clash and so many others. Number three, um, the original cast of the Broadway of My Fair Lady. Number two, the soundtrack to the film King and I. And number one, which had been number one for about 40 weeks. Seriously, folks, 40 weeks. Harry Belafonte. Oh, I love Belafonte. Calypso. Yeah. Great album. Now, in terms of the most played album on the radio, according to Billboard that week, the most played album was also in the top 10. It's an album called High Society, which is Bing Crosby, Frank Sinatra. And it's got some great tracks on it, like What Did You Ever? And um, Now That's Jazz. And of course, the classic, True Love, mm-hmm. with Grace Kelly, which was Bing's last top 10 single ever. 
I mean, other than the Christmas stuff, right? Yeah. But yeah, that was it. So that was the charts, man. Oh, that's an interesting chart. Yeah, it's interesting. In the mid-50s, you still had uh, musical theater creeping in there all the time. Constantly. <laughs> yep. And uh, I, I'm sure listeners know how we both feel about musical theater. <laughs> sure. We should do we should do a musical. You and I. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> I, I think you should think about this before you say no. Give us some thought. <laughs> anyway, you know what? Let's uh, let's cue up the uh, time machine sound effect and let's jump back to the present because uh, we always, when we get back home, we always tie everything into the Beatles. So let's jump uh, back to the present. Do you want to punch that in? All right. That's a lot of punching for... Well, it's a long year. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> okay, here we go. Tony, you got all the controls across the table from me. Would you mind doing me a favor and cue up the Beatles, uh, you know, the intro music from Rick? Yeah, I will do that. So uh, let's cue up Rick Denise track for our Six Degrees of Beatlemania. So now we're going to do six degrees of uh, Beatlemania. And I think that just for a change, to give me a bit of a breather, I'm going to turn it over to Mr. my friend, Tony Stewart. Yeah, so I'll be the uh, Beatles guy today. Well, there were a few of them, actually. But one of the big ones, uh, I thought, because we've already mentioned him today, is that on September 6th, 1968, at Abbey Road Studios, uh, on George Harrison's famous, famous, famous song, While My Guitar Gently Weeps, Eric Clapton added the guitar solo on September 6th, 1968, and he became the first outside musician to play on a Beatles recording. And then uh, George recorded his lead vocal after that. So that's, a, a again, an important date. And Harrison later said, uh, I forget if it's in his book or if it's in his book, where he felt really guilty because people would be writing these. Because if you look at the White Album, he doesn't say featuring Eric Clapton. He's thanked. It's like, with thanks to, and there's a list of people. But um, he goes, yeah, I felt really guilty because people would be writing me all the time saying, I love the guitars. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't me, folks. It was Eric. But anyway, so yeah, that's a... I always thought that's a, I, I, the, the, for me, the thing that makes that song is, is McCartney's piano playing at the very beginning of the song and, and, and the concert for George to see Paul and Clapton do that together. Mm-hmm. It's, it chills. It's oh, like well, a chill a factor. Concert for George is so fantastic. Oh, from, from, from beginning. And it's beautifully filmed too. It absolutely is. And, and, um, you know, the grin on Danny Harrison's face yeah. from start to finish. I yeah, mean, just, well, just permagrin, right? Oh, it's, it's, and why wouldn't it be? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's perfect, right? So, yeah. All these giants of rock and roll on stage, you know, celebrating his dad. It's amazing. And, and who, I mean, he should be celebrated. Harrison, you know, uh, I think for a long time, not so much now, for a number of years, he was kind of just kind of an add-on. But now people are realizing, uh, just recently, the All Things Must Pass album got yeah, reissued. The, the reissue of that, yeah. Top 10. Top 10. I mean, it's a great album, but I mean, who knew, right? Well, and he was the first Beatle out of the gate with, with uh, the number one album, right? Yep. And single, My Sweet Lord. First solo Beatle single was My Sweet Lord. Number one. Number yeah. one. Well, I think by 68, he was finally starting to assert himself. And Did, did you ever hear the, the funny story about, um, he wrote something which is on Abbey Road, and, and it was the first time he got an A-side of a single, which made number one. And uh, he said, I was in Vegas in 71 or 72. It's 
starts without laughing. Sinatra comes on stage and he goes, not only is this the best love song that John and Paul wrote, it's the best song, best love song of all time. And he's sitting there going, I wrote it. That was me, folks. <laughs> Actually, <it's>, <laughs> hi. <laughs> Poor guy. Can you imagine someone saying, what's the best thing John and Paul ever wrote? It's like, well, oh, geez. yeah. I think Sinatra was just trying to be hip, but he didn't realize that Harrison wrote. That's true, you know, but uh, it is it is a great song. Oh, my gosh. One of my favorites. Yeah. So, go out, While My Guitar Gently Weeps recorded in September 6th, 19th. Well, finished recording, actually. All right? Great yeah. Song. Great song. Great album. White album. And you know what, Aaron? This, uh, wow, what a fun uh, recording I've, session this, this has been. been. Why, where did the time go? Oh, I know. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I don't have to pretend that I'm dropping your, you off at your house. We're just going to hang <laughs> I, up the I microphones. I drive back to the hotel. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You've got to do that. Well, next time you got to stay at my place. But, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you at mine. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we're going to just uh, turn off the microphones and go downstairs and have a maybe a caffeine-free coffee since it's late here. <laughs> It is late. I, you know, I got to sleep, folks. I have a long drive tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, Labor Day uh, going yeah, back no, to Toronto. Yeah, let's not talk about it. I, I pity the fool who drives that drive, as Mr. T says, you know. Yeah, well, you know me, right? <laughs> but anyway, folks, thank you so much for listening. And Aaron, this was a, uh, wow, what a what a treat. So well, we gotta, well, thank you. And this is this has been wonderful. I'm, I, we need to do this. And, and I think in the future, down the road, get it? Down the road. That's right. <laughs> We will be doing it more often. So. Oh, well, I think when when I retire and move later this year, that uh, I think we should do every episode live. I, 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 listen, I love Peterborough, so if you're settled there, I've been coming. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, all right, folks, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Music for today's episode of the Wayback Music Machine podcast was written by Rick Denis. The show notes, chart selection, and Spotify playlist were created by Aaron Badgley. And the artwork, recording, editing, and sound production was done by Tony Stewart. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to tell a friend or two. And don't forget to click follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast player to get the latest episodes automatically. And we'd love it if you would leave us a review. You can also engage with the show by going on our website and leaving us a voicemail. We may even play your voicemail on an upcoming episode. Thanks for taking this road trip with us, and we'll see you next time on the Wayback Music Machine Podcast. Hey, turn the radio up. I love this song. The Wayback Music Machine Podcast is a Stewie Tunes production. It's not just business, it's personal. And Signature Theatre's new musical, No Place to Go. When dedicated employee George discovers his company is relocating to Mars, he must decide whether to go and uproot his family's life or embark on an unknown venture. Featuring DC star Bobby Smith, No Place to Go is an irreverent and humorous musical with an enterprising twist. Now playing at Signature Theatre through October 16th. Get your tickets at sigtheatre.org.